Monday was the first day of the annual week-long Taipei International Machine Tool Show, and there were some special guests for the opening day. President Tsai Ing-wen and AIT Director Sandra Otkirk spoke at the event, emphasizing bilateral trade in the growing industry. Tsai said machine tools now account for 3 billion U.S. dollars in annual exports to the U.S., while Otkirk emphasized the rock-solid relationship between the two countries. Let's hear what they had to say. Taiwanese and U.S. officials posed together for a photograph with President Tsai Ing-wen and AIT director Sandra Odkirk front and center. After the photograph, Tsai and Odkirk engage in lively conversation. Monday was the first day of the annual Taipei International Machine Tools Show, which is the second largest of its kind in Asia. Thousands of domestic and international manufacturers are participating in the exhibition this year, which is expected to generate more than two billion U.S. dollars in business opportunities. Since 2017, Taiwan's machine tools industry has consistently generated more than 1 trillion NT annually in output. Last year, the total export value of the domestic machine tool industry exceeded 3 billion US dollars, representing an annual growth of 8.6%. This is very impressive performance. Now, Taiwan's machinery industry has moved from precision machinery to smart manufacturing has become Taiwan's third trillion dollar industry. Taiwan is an important hub of the industry's global supply chain. I'd like to confirm that the United States is a committed partner and true friend to Taiwan. We are invested in each other's success and support for Taiwan in the United States is broad, bipartisan, and indeed rock solid. Taiwan's machine tools industry is growing at an impressive rate, and attendance at the trade show by both President Tsai and AIT Director Odkirk underscores the importance of Taiwan-U.S. trade in the industry. Surveyed by the U.K.-based The Economist, a majority of respondents in the U.S. said they support their government acting in support of Taiwan. More concretely, 51% said it was more important for the U.S. to take a strong stand so that China does not take over Taiwan by force. Then, for the U.S. to maintain good relations with China. Analysts in Taiwan say the results show a growing consensus in the U.S. public on Taiwan as a friend and the Chinese government as an enemy. Let's hear from some experts. For more than half of the respondents to a survey in the U.S. to answer an agreement, that's quite high. That's a very clear signal, showing that now it's not only the politicians in the U.S., but the general public as well that supports Taiwan. This proves that the sentiment now among the American public is that the Chinese Communist Party is an enemy. It also shows that people consider Taiwan a friend. That the U.S. public sentiment is towards supporting Taiwan and opposing the CCP is without doubt. China's military budget is growing by 6 to 7 percent annually. It's been that way for not just one year. It started out that way in 2018. It doesn't look like much on the surface, but China's military capabilities on land, in the air, and at sea are growing by 3 to 4 percent each year. This is a shocking pace of growth. This puts the U.S. military at a relative disadvantage in the Pacific region. China has announced a military budget of 1.56 trillion yuan roughly the equivalent of 6.8 trillion NT. That is a growth of 7.2% over the previous year and 11 times bigger than Taiwan's defense budgeted this year.
Former CIA Director Leon Panetta told CNN that the only way to deal with China is with strength and that the U.S. make very clear to China where the lines are in regard to Taiwan. Did its mask mandate for schools on Monday, and that means masks are no longer compulsory anywhere except in school infirmaries and on school transport. Table dividers are also not required when having meals anymore. Some parents say they told their children to stay masked up, while others say it's up to the students themselves to decide. Kids are dropped off at school. Both they and their parents are still wearing face masks, despite the relaxation of the face mask mandate in school. Teachers and students can choose to forego the masks if they so wish, but some parents say they hope everyone will keep them on. For example, at the kindergarten, it's very easy to transmit infections via saliva droplets because the kids chat together for a long time. So I told my child to stay masked up, even if the rule has been lifted. I said it could come off only for meals. I think they can decide for themselves. If they are doing sports, they might want to take it off. In class, if they are not feeling well or if their classmates are wearing a mask, they can decide whether to keep it on or not. Besides the lifting of the mask mandate, table dividers are no longer compulsory when having a meal at school. Dajia Elementary School in Taipei says students will still be advised to put up the dividers anyway. After all, when they eat, they take off their masks. We are afraid that they could get infected by airborne droplets. So, in principle, we hope that students will still use the dividers, but we won't force them to do so. Over the past three years, masks have been a must at schools, so it may take some time before teachers and students can break the habit. We have Health and Welfare on Monday launched a fresh campaign to boost COVID vaccine coverage in Taiwan. It's targeting three groups in particular: unvaccinated people, people who are not fully vaccinated, and people aged six and up who have not received a Moderna BA4 or BA5 shot since January 1st. The campaign overlaps with several other launched. By local governments, which offer incentives for certain demographics, in Taipei, people aged 50 and up can get a 500 NT voucher for getting a shot. In New Taipei, Taoyuan, Tainan, and Kaohsiung, the voucher is available to people aged 65 and up. Sculpture is a rare art form practiced by skilled craftspeople worldwide. In Taiwan, Ye Faiyuan has been making stunning leather art for 36 years. Using techniques he developed himself, he's found new ways to bring a simple strip of leather into a 3D work of art. From like-life crabs to eagles, ants, and even human beings, Ye can fashion them all out of leather. But as he shared with us, making a living from art has not always been easy. After years of hard work in obscurity, now Ye's works can be seen at the world-famous Louvre Museum in Paris. A tap of the hammer and a flick of the chisel. Gradually, a pattern emerges. The trimmed-down crab's legs are softened in water and remodeled. A pin is used to create hairs. The crab's body and legs are assembled, pieced together, then brushed with green dye. When it dries, another layer is applied ten times. Then the lifelike crab is finally complete. Quite by accident, while I was working, I noticed a piece of leather that looked like a guitar. That's how I first got involved with leather. I quit my job to dedicate myself to leather art because I think that it's a very happy thing to be able to do work that interests you. 
In Ye Fayuan's nimble hands, a simple piece of leather becomes a vendor with a basket full of crabs, ants crawling over a watermelon or a crystal sugar, or a dish of stir-fried pork. Ye quit a stable career to follow his passion, and over the years he was surprised to find people loved his work. Actually, while I'm working, I always think that artists need to have a lot of perseverance and willpower to keep struggling at it for long periods of time, as well as kind of a foolish desire to just keep doing it without complaints or regrets. At the stage when you're not yet famous, you can go months without making any money. I thought about giving up in the past, and I thought to myself, maybe I need to adjust my pace and my methods so that I can fulfill these dreams of mine. I've got a good line in leather chat. I can talk about his work in a more indirect, softer, more storytelling kind of way, about where he got the ideas for the piece or the inspiration behind it. And Ye has also made a name for his work worldwide, having pieces exhibited at the Louvre Museum in France. His wife, a former art gallery tour guide, is his marketing manager par excellence. I encounter many difficulties in my work, and I did once think about quitting. The insight which the eagle gives us is that we must have the courage to change and the determination to be reborn. This series of eagle sculptures, created painstakingly over two years, exhibits the luxurious soft feathers of the bird, as well as their charismatic strength. Like Ye himself, they swoop low to the ground so as to soar into the sky. Built at the cost of 5 billion NT over the course of 10 years, the Kaohsiung Port Cruise Terminal formally opened on Monday. Premier Chen Jianren made the trip to the city to attend the opening ceremony. The new terminal offers services in four languages through automated voice-to-text translation kiosks. It has 26 gates for customs inspection, up from the 12 of the old terminal. Kaohsiung's new cruise terminal draws upon the movement of waves in its structural design and has a curvy ceiling, reminiscent of an opera house. The terminal has a viewing platform on the third floor where you can have a panoramic view of Kaohsiung's beautiful sea vistas. Egg prices went up again on Monday to reach a wholesale rate of 55 NT per 600 grams. It's the second price hike in just about a month as eggs remain scarce in Taiwan. That's despite the first two batches of a government order having already arrived from Australia. A total of 5 million Australian eggs are scheduled to arrive before the end of the month, but with shelves island-wide still empty, the government says it will procure eggs from other places as well. It's 6 a.m., but already a long line has formed outside this egg shop. At 7.20, the shop finally opens. It's out of regular white-shelled eggs and brown-shelled eggs, however. The only ones available are special and pricier varieties. But in just one hour, they are all gone. I haven't bought any eggs for a week. I'm considering raising my own hens. Sourcing these eggs was really difficult. I needed 400 boxes, but I had to go and ask around to get 300 of them. People are always lining up. I tell them not to, but they still stand in line. I had no choice but to sell the eggs meant for businesses. But then there were no eggs for the businesses and I got yelled at by my boss. Avian flu, rising feed prices and poor weather have brought farm prices up. 
Last March, 600 grams of eggs cost 36.5 NT. That price went up by 2 NT in February, and now on March 6, it's gone up again by 3 NT. That's two hikes in just about a month. Wholesale egg prices now stand at 55 NT per 600 grams. Distributors have come to try and snatch some eggs. They got 12 kilograms of white-shelled eggs for 1,300 NT. And think about it, if they go to Taipei, they could sell them for at least 1,400 or 1,500 NT. I think this egg shortage nightmare will drag on for at least a year. We respect the outcome of both market mechanisms. We will continue to bring in eggs as quickly as possible from other areas. We'll also look for eggs for egg processing firms. Taiwan has placed an order of 5 million eggs from Australia. The first two batches, totaling 720,000 eggs, have already reached Taiwan, and four more batches are scheduled for March. The Council of Agriculture says it will import eggs from other countries as well to get through the shortage. Nuts are a popular tree at this time of year. They're great for giving to loved ones and for keeping at home for a healthy snack. But global inflation has seen the price of importing nuts soar. Today, we meet one Taiwanese nut producer that insists on keeping its retail prices stable despite the risk. Their commitment to healthier processing keeps loyal customers on board. And they're hoping the rise in online sales will see them through their turbulent post-pandemic period. Trays of nuts revolve 360 degrees in the oven so that each nut gets heated evenly with minimal rancidity. They're baked at low temperature, just 100 degrees, and each batch spends 6 to 8 hours in the oven. During that time, the chef opens the oven door to check on their progress. Traditional deep frying techniques take just 15 to 20 minutes. This baking process is much slower and more labor intensive. We process them in the most responsible way possible. Our aim is to preserve as much nutrition as we can, as well as the natural flavors of the nuts. After all, we are a subcontracting factory. So we tried out lots of different processing techniques before discovering that this is actually the best way to handle the nuts. The company's commitment to producing healthy nut products started with their founder, Xu Quan Shen. When he developed cancer 20 years ago, he decided to pivot the company from subcontracting deep-frying food products to working specifically with nuts. In their heyday, they processed a staggering 80% of nuts sold in the bustling Dihua Street market area of Taipei. Revenue then was almost 100 million NT annually, but the pandemic was a hard blow and sales fell. Now, inflation means it's 20% more expensive to import nuts from abroad. The price comes from the fact that you can't keep nuts for too long, so the price fluctuates quite significantly, even to the degree that you might get one price offered today, and if you don't say yes, the next day the price will have gone up. So import costs have risen, but the company has frozen its retail prices for the last eight years for fear of losing customers. However, the good news is the pandemic saw online sales rise from 7 to 13 percent of total sales. Healthy eating is a trend with a lot of mileage, and the company hopes that with timely evolution, they can keep hold of their place in today's market. Taiwan's fishing industries are in need of innovation, and one Yunlin woman is doing more than her fair share. Lin Jiahua has been recognized as an aquaculture expert with an award from the Ministry of Education. 
the third-generation fisher from Mailiao Township, had to resist her father's opposition to a woman becoming a fish farmer. But now the aquaculture expert is revolutionizing how Yunning farmers process and sell their products. Lin Jiahua works with a colleague to pull in a fishing net. She pulls her all into fishing. Having grown up here in Ho'an Village on the southwest side of Mailiao Township in Yulin, she's been helping out with raising pigs and feeding fish for as long as she can remember. In high school, she studied animal husbandry, but in university, majored in aquaculture. I've studied two legs and four legs. It was a slow transition because in the early days, our family raised animals and did aquaculture. But Lin's father initially thought fish farming was too physically taxing and strongly opposed his daughter focusing on it. It was Lin's mother who supported her choice. My mom acted as a bridge between us. She thought that it was good that at least I had a commitment to something and that she wanted to support me. Lin is constantly reflecting on the future of fish farming. The industry needs innovation and change to stay profitable. Fishers must continuously upgrade their techniques and improve their product processing and publicity systems. Lin has a thorough grounding in theory as she's now studying for her PhD and conducting research while working. If you sell your produce to a middleman, the price is limited. So I started thinking, very simply, wouldn't it be better to make some more processed products? First off, it would extend the storage life of our aquaculture products. Lynn's special knowledge of aquaculture and product processing have made her business go from strength to strength. She is now recognized as an aquaculture and food products expert by the Ministry of Education, receiving the Outstanding Award of Technological and Vocational Education. She wants to bring the energy of more young people into the industry. Coffee lovers, look up! Premium coffee has become more and more popular in Taiwan in recent years. More and more people are aspiring coffee connoisseurs, and among their ranks is DPP lawmaker Mark Ho. He's been brewing and drinking the best beans for more than a decade. And today, we're going to take a class in the art of coffee from a real aficionado. A tiny flame burns beneath the coffee kettle and steam is gently spiraling into the air. Coffee cups and beakers sit beside Tanzanian coffee grounds. And lawmaker Mark Ho is showing how to brew a premium cup of coffee. Even the best grinders are the same. They all produce a mixture of more and less fine grounds, and the finer grounds are at the bottom. The coffee grounds are poured into the funnel. Once boiling water is poured on, the grounds float up while the coffee drips into the beaker below. As you brew the coffee, you must take care not to fill the funnel up completely with water. Steam, rich with an invigorating scent, fills the room. See how its steam is rising? It also has a lot of volatiles in it. You could say that coffee is the most complex foodstuff in the world. From the moment it is roasted, it is continuously changing. The brewing is over. A cup of rich, dark coffee is produced. But we are not quite ready to drink it. The freshly brewed coffee tastes too strong and it's too hot. Most people add a little iced water to balance it out. If I'm going to brew 500 milliliters, then I'll leave 200 milliliters for water. That will make a coffee that's exceptionally clean and vibrant. When we drink scalding liquids, our taste buds contract. It's my understanding that for really good tea or coffee, a temperature of about 50 degrees is correct. 
Ho takes a sip, then swirls it around his mouth to taste it better. He's meticulous about every step of the process. Everyone needs to find something they enjoy. It could be wiping the floorboards, wiping your glasses, or drinking coffee. Find something you enjoy, and you won't get tired even if you do it 100, 1,000, or 10,000 times. This is very important. Ho has been interested in premium coffees for more than 10 years. For him, it's not just a morning pick-me-up, but a relaxed and meditative process that can entertain him for decades. New York Yankee pitcher Mariano Rivera arrived in Taiwan on Monday morning ahead of the World Baseball Classic's opening match on Wednesday. Rivera will be throwing the ceremonial first pitch at the competition, which will kick off in Taizong. Dubbed the greatest reliever of all time, many fans headed to the airport to get an autograph from him. Let's hear from Rivera. It's a pleasure and a uh, bless to be here. I mean, first time in Taiwan, but I, it seems like I, I was here before because I mean I played with uh, Shimin Wang for so many years, and uh, so I mean uh, we always talk about Taiwan and, and how beautiful it was. So now I realize how how beautiful it is. I would love to. Uh, to see, for example, temples, okay, and then uh, uh, see the beauty of the, of the people and see the towns. You know, being, being Panamanian and, and being in Taiwan, you know, I wish the best to, to both teams and uh, whoever win. Rivera was born in Panama and played in the MLB for 19 years, and he's a five-time World Series champion. He also the first player ever to be inducted to the Hall of Fame in a unanimous vote. Rivera has a packed schedule in Taiwan. On Tuesday, he'll be giving talks about his experiences and taking part in a charity baseball training camp. After throwing the inaugural pitch on Wednesday, he'll also be holding meet and greet for fans.